welcome to Bethesda Broadcasts, the podcast of Bethesda Church in Huron, South Dakota. Today, you get to hear a message from me, Anthony Lynn, that I got to share at Bethesda this past Sunday. Pastor Roy is in Israel for a couple weeks, so while he's gone, we have had some guest speakers. Unfortunately, last week we had some technical difficulties and we weren't able to record Wes Nelson give a great message on baptism. So if you want to know what Wes said about baptism, you'll have to catch him sometime and ask. Today, you'll get to hear a message on suffering, sacrifice, and hardship. All right, so um, we'll just go ahead and get going into it here. Many of you, maybe if you looked at the front of the bullets and like Daryl said, you've seen the title and you're wondering what in the world uh, we're going to be talking about today. And like Daryl said, it's not something we really enjoy, we want to talk about. And then if I were to tell you that we're going to be primarily talking about us as individuals and not um, how Christ chose suffering, at least as a main point, then you would probably call me insane, right? Or the world would say that's insane, that's crazy. Who in their right mind would choose suffering? That's in, that just doesn't make any logical sense. <clears throat> Why don't you just throw it up there from the... Uh, we're good. Try again. There we go. All right. Um, John Piper, in uh, a very well-known book, he's a very well-known um, author, he says that uh, he wrote a book called Desiring God. Um, and the, uh, the eye-catching line on the back, you know, every book's got this line to kind of draw you in. Um, but Desiring God's the title. The, uh, the eye-catching line on the back, it says, the pursuit of pleasure is not optional. The pursuit of pleasure is not optional. It is essential. You think of that, okay? And then he goes on and he writes the book in the book, and maybe some of you could probably quote this. This is a very well-known phrase among evangelical Christians. The purpose of life is to glorify God by enjoying him forever. So, so that's his premise of the book. That's the whole reason he wrote the book. Um, and so then you think, if you flip to the back of his book, his last chapter, why in the world, if that's the idea, would he include his very last chapter, concluding the book, on suffering doesn't seem to make sense how can we enjoy our relationship with God in a world full of suffering so hopefully by now I've piqued your interest at least a little bit and it would seem that at this point um, it would be beneficial to define what I'm talking about when I say suffering um, so that we're all on the same page when I use that word we don't all have different ideas, different um, notions of what that means. So when I'm talking about suffering, when I use that word, um, I am talking about, I define it as any hardship or sacrifice that happens when we are walking in obedience to God. Okay? Any hardship or sacrifice that happens when we are walking in obedience to Christ. And I think we need to broaden, in a sense, our definition of that suffering. It's not just persecution. It's not just a, a, a sickness or dealing with certain things. We need to broaden it so that we can better understand it and its place in our lives as Christians. A little later, towards the end of the sermon, we'll look at maybe some more specific examples. Um, but first, I want to give you three 
uh, reasons why I think we should choose suffering as Christians. But before we get into that, I need to issue, and I, couldn't, I wasn't sure how to, what the right word was, but maybe disclosure, disclaimer, um, not that I'm um, saying I'm not responsible for what I'm going to say, but uh, just the fact that I'm, I'm only 31, I've had very, you know, a few short years on this earth, and I haven't had to endure a ton of hardship, a ton of suffering, a ton of pain. And so um, coming from that perspective, I don't have the life experience, but I, uh, I think of, um, so in a sense, I'll be coming more from an intellectual perspective. I think of the great C.S. Lewis, a very, again, well-known Christian author. He wrote two books on pain and suffering. His first one was when he was fairly younger. He hadn't, you know, kind of like me, he hadn't had a lot of life experience. He wasn't even married yet. Um, it was more intellectual. It, 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 you read it, it's just kind of intellectual. It's what does the, the Bible say? How does it work out logically? You know, things like that. Um, his second book that he wrote on pain and suffering was towards the end of his life. And uh, more specifically, right after he had lost his wife in a battle with cancer, I believe. And they thought she was in remission. They thought she was doing good. And then she kind of died suddenly. And he wrote this second book. And this second book is more, it's, it's more raw. It's more emotional. Um, some have even described him as being angry at God. You know, one of the greatest Christian apologists, you know, of our century. And he's, he's angry at God. Um, and so I will admit that I'm coming from that first perspective a little bit because I haven't been there, I haven't experienced that. Um, but hopefully you don't tune me out um, and you allow the Holy Spirit in Scripture um, to, to reveal truth to you. So the first reason that I think that we should choose suffering is because Christ chose to suffer, right? In John 10, verse 18, Jesus says, no one takes it meaning his life, from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Christ chose to suffer. Jesus willingly chose to go to the cross and to take the punishment for our sins. Okay, and since Christ chose to suffer, now that doesn't necessarily mean that we have to choose that. I mean, he's the son of God, right? I mean, he's a pretty amazing guy. But when you think about, um, when you do a, a search of the Gospels, yeah, 20 times in the Gospels, Jesus uses two simple words. Can you guess what they are? Follow me. 20 times he says it. Various circumstances, different people, different situations, he calls them to follow me. Okay? A few verses later, actually, in John 10, you know, he just said that he, he willingly chose to sacrifice, he chose to suffer. In John 10, verse 27, he says, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Several other times throughout um, Scripture, we're encouraged to look at the life of Jesus as our example for Christian living. So if Jesus Christ chose to suffer, and we are supposed to follow him as our example, then we should follow that example and choose suffering as well. Not only do we need, not only is that a choice that we make, but it, it's expected when you choose Christ. Um, you think of John 15, 18 to 20. Jesus is telling his disciples. Um, he says in verse 18, John 15, 18, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. 
But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. So right from the words of Jesus, from Jesus' own mouth, it's expected as a disciple of Jesus that there's going to be suffering. There's going to be hardship. And, and I think of the, there's a, a great example in Acts um, 14.22. It's Paul, he's just, uh, I think he's in Lystra, Lystra, however you say it. He was sharing the gospel and basically an angry crowd gathers. They beat him and they drag him out of the city and they leave him in the gutter or in the um, whatever, they think he's dead. They just leave him there because they, they've beaten him so bad that he, he looks dead. And he gets up. He's not dead, obviously. He gets up. He goes, he continues to preach the gospel. But not only that, he comes back to those same cities where he had opposition, where he was beaten. And it says this is what he did in Acts 14.22. He says, He was strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. So when we choose the free gift of eternal life in Christ Jesus, in a sense, you're choosing suffering. You're choosing hardship. You're choosing pain as we follow in Christ's example. So that's reason number one. Christ chose to suffer. The second reason I think we should choose suffering is because suffering helps strengthen our faith. Right? Suffering helps strengthen our faith. If you were to ask anyone who is maybe over 50, just pick a number that's had some life experience, and you know that they have a vibrant relationship with Christ, and you were to go ask them and say, you know, what, is, what has helped you grow the most in your walk with God? What's, what is it that has really helped you the most? I can almost guarantee you that they're not going to say something like, well, life's been pretty comfortable, you know, pretty easy, you know, haven't had a lot of, haven't had to deal with a lot of stuff, and that's what makes me the strong Christian that I am today, right? Would you guess that somebody would say that? More than likely, you're going to hear somebody say, well, when I was battling cancer, and God revealed this, or God did this, when we lost a son or a daughter or a family member and we didn't know what to do, God was there. When our marriage was struggling and we were just at odds and we didn't think there was any hope, you know, God came in, restored that, and brought us deeper into a relationship with him. Or we went on a, I was on a missions trip somewhere, wherever it is, you know, and, and it wasn't easy, but I really saw God do fill in the blank, right? It's through those hard times, it's through those difficult times when we're suffering um, that our faith is tested and it's refined. And I think if you talk to anybody who you feel like is really mature and, and their faith is strong, I'm guessing they've had to go through something like that in some way. And in Acts 5.41, again, it's the disciples. They were, they were just arrested for sharing the gospel. And uh, 
they they were basically kind of reprimanded and said don't do it again and uh and they were actually they were beaten as well and in acts 5:41 it says they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name or in philippians 1:29 says for it has been granted to you that for the sake of christ you should not only believe in him but also suffer for his sake and I have a story from um, John Piper's book here actually that I wanted to read um, and it's not an easy story to read honestly but I think um, it's oh no that's just a little bit later wrong story sorry um, but it, it's true our faith is tested and, and, and refined in those hard times of life and then I, th- I think it's also interesting to note that when you're going through that struggle, you're going through that suffering, right, there's two opposing forces that are trying to use the same situation for opposite goals, right? You're going through a hard time, and it's a, it's a struggle, whatever it may be. And you've got, you've got, in a sense, you've got two choices. You've got God, on the one hand, wanting to use that situation to refine your faith, to strengthen your faith, and to point you towards him and on the other end you've got Satan who's wanting to use that same exact situation same thing and he's trying to get you to doubt God to weaken your faith to get angry at God you know all those things that we we don't want to do through the same situation you've got those those two opposing forces and many of you know um, we shared a couple months ago about our our adoption situation um, where we uh, experienced what they call an interrupted adoption. And that's where the, the mom or dad or both, who, whoever has that legal authority, um, they decide before the adoption is finalized that uh, they want a parent again. They want that child back. And that's what happened um, in our situation. And while it was not fun, it was not easy, I'm not sure that I would be the same person I am today or that Rhonda would be the same or that our family would be the same if we didn't have that experience it was an opportunity to trust that God knew what he was doing even though it didn't look like it it didn't look like it was gonna work out for good at all and that we could make it through with his help we could have gotten angry we could have doubted you could have said God how can you be sovereign and allow this um, but by God's grace um, we made it through and it's not because of we have such great faith um, I'm, I don't have a great faith it's just by God's grace it is only because of his grace so hardships and pain and suffering strengthen our faith in God in ways that won't happen if we don't have those situations the third reason I think we should choose suffering is because suffering helps finish the work Christ started on the cross and now you're kind of wondering whoa what what is he talking about there Colossians 1 24 very interesting verse Colossians 1 24 it says now I rejoice in my sufferings for your sake this is Paul again and in my flesh I am filling up what is lacking in Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body that is the church now, if you're thinking what I'm thinking, when you first read that verse, you're probably saying, 
what in the world could be lacking in Christ's afflictions? I mean, he died on the cross for our sins. I mean, he went through incredible pain and suffering, not just physically, um, to die for us. So what, it, it sounds blasphemous, right? How could Christ be lacking in his afflictions and the things that he struggled with? But um, if you were maybe in the first Ambassadors for Christ class, I'm guessing you learned that when you come to a passage that's difficult and hard to understand, you use passages in Scripture that are, are easier to understand. You know they're, you, they're easy to understand to interpret the more difficult ones. So let's use Scripture to interpret Scripture and see what Paul is actually saying. At first glance, if you take it at face value, it seems like Paul is saying that Christ's death on the cross cross is not sufficient for salvation right that's what what it seems like on face value however we know clearly from Paul's example that he that's not what he believes right there's there's many verses um, if you go to the next slide there Hebrews 10 14 Hebrews 9 12 um, these are verses that point to the fact that Christ's death is sufficient there's it's not that he couldn't get salvation. Romans 5, verse 9, I was gonna, I'm just going to read real quick. It says, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more we shall be saved by him from the wrath of God. So obviously Paul does not believe that Christ's death wasn't sufficient for salvation. So if he doesn't believe that, um, what does he mean? And if you look at um, Philippians 2, verse 30, we have very similar language for a different situation that if you really want a full explanation of where, how I come to this conclusion, I, you can come talk to me, um, but I'm not going to go through this morning. But our suffering does not add to Christ's afflictions, his pain and suffering on the cross. It extends that. Okay, I'm going to say that again. Our suffering does not add to Christ's afflictions. It extends it. Like I said, Philippians 2.30 is, is where I got help for coming to that conclusion. So through our suffering, we can extend the work that Christ did on the cross. It's finished. He did it. There's nothing we can add to it. We can extend that work through our suffering um, in the world today to those around us. Right? People didn't get to see Christ suffer, but when they see somebody who claims to follow Christ go through a hard time and, and stay strong and their faith is tested and it's, it's refined and it stays strong, that's a testimony to what Christ did on the cross, right? So basically, in, in, in other words, suffering is a means of sharing the gospel. How many times do we think of that? You know, when you're going through a hard time, sometimes it's just like, I got to get through this. But it's a means of sharing the gospel with those around you um, who don't know Christ. Here's where the story comes in. Now, hopefully I didn't lose my page. <clears throat> and like I said, not, not an easy story to read or to listen to. It's from an autobiography of a guy named Sergei... This is all Russian, so have fun with this. Kordakov. Uh, he was... a he was commissioned as part of the Russian secret police um, when under the communist regime. So he's, you know, he was a he was persecuting Christians, and he's. This is from his perspective. He saw Viktor Matveyev, one of his guys that was working with him, reach and grab for a young girl. Her name was Natasha. He would later find out, who was trying to escape to another room. 
She was a beautiful young girl, and he thinks, what a waste to be a believer. Victor caught her, picked her above his head, and held her high in the air for a second. She was pleading, don't, please don't, dear God, help us. Victor threw her so hard, she hit the wall at the same height she was thrown, then dropped to the floor, semi-conscious, moaning. Victor turned and laughed and exclaimed, I'll bet the idea of God went flying right out of her head. A few days later on another raid, um, they're going to persecute Christians. He sees Natasha again. He quickly surveyed the room and he saw a sight I couldn't believe. There she was, the same girl. It couldn't be, but it was. Only three nights before, she had been at the other meeting and had been viciously thrown across the room. It was the first time I really got a good look at her. She was more beautiful than I first remembered, a very beautiful girl with long, flowing blonde hair, large blue eyes, and smooth skin, one of the most naturally beautiful girls I have ever seen. I picked her up and flung her on a table face down. One of my men held her down and I began to beat her again and again. My hands began to sting under the blows. Her skin started to blister. I continued to beat her until pieces of body flesh came off on my hand. She moaned but fought desperately not to cry. To suppress her cries, she bit her lower lip until it was bitten through and blood ran down her chin. At last she gave in and began sobbing. When I was so exhausted I couldn't raise my arm for even one more blow and her backside was a mass of raw flesh, I pushed her off the table and she collapsed on the floor. To Sergei's shock, he later encountered her at yet another prayer meeting. But this time, something was different. He goes back to his account. There she was again, Natasha Zadnova. Several of the guys saw her too. Alex moved toward Natasha, hatred filling his face, his club raised above his head. Then something I never expected to see suddenly happened. Without warning, Victor, the man who on the first time he had met her, the one had picked her up and threw her across the room, Victor jumped between Natasha and Alex, facing Alex head on. Get out of my way, Alex shouted angrily. Victor's feet didn't move. He raised his club and said menacingly, Alex, I'm telling you, don't touch her. No one touches her. I listened in amazement. Incredibly, one of the most brutal men of, on my team was protecting one of the believers. Get back, he shouted to Alex. Get back or I'll let you have it. He shielded Natasha, who was cowering on the floor. Anger, Alex shouted, you want her for yourself, don't you? No, Victor shouted back. She has something we don't have. Nobody touches her. Nobody. And then this, this man who wrote the autobiography says, For one of the first times in my life, I was deeply moved. Natasha did have something. She had been beaten horribly. She had been warned and threatened. She had gone through unbelievable suffering. But here she was again. Even Victor had been moved and recognized it. She had something we didn't have. I wanted to run after her and ask, What is it? I wanted to talk to her, but she was gone. This heroic Christian girl who had suffered so much at our hands somehow touched and troubled me 
very much. Later on, this man accepts Christ, um, and he obviously he writes this book. Um, he later, as he later reflected on this this situation and this girl, he says um, in in the in the book, he says, and finally to Natasha, whom I beat terribly and who is willing to be beaten a third time for her faith, I want to say, Natasha, largely because of you, my life is now changed. And I am a fellow believer in Christ with you. I have a new life before me. God has forgiven me, and I hope you can also. Thank you, Natasha, wherever you are. So our suffering is a means of sharing the gospel. It extends what Christ did on the cross to those around us who can't see it. Second Timothy 2.10 says, um, and again, Paul, he says, Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And Piper goes on to say in his book, he says, The startling implication of this is that the saving purpose of Christ among the nations and in our neighborhoods will not be accomplished unless Christians choose to suffer. At the extreme end of this suffering, the number of martyrs is not yet complete, Revelation 6.11. Without them, the final frontiers of world evangelization, evangelization will not be crossed. Less extreme is the simple costliness in time, in convenience, and money and effort to replace excessive and addictive leisure with acts of servant love. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and glorify, give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Matthew five sixteen. So at this point, it'd probably be um, advantageous to look at some examples of suffering. What do I mean by suffering? And maybe you've got some in your mind already. Obviously, on a, on a continuum, there are extremes, right? Natasha is an extreme. Um, and my, my point in doing this is twofold. First, to encourage you that just because you aren't on the mission field or you aren't in a country like Natasha, um, sacrificing your life doesn't mean you aren't suffering. Okay, that's just, that's one end of the, the extreme. And second, it's to spur you on to make bolder choices in obedience to Christ that you know will bring hardship, pain, and suffering. So some examples of suffering, and these are just, I mean, obviously there's many, but these are just some things that I could think of. Um, kids who aren't walking with God, walking with the Lord, is a hardship, is a pain, is a, is a suffering. Pain and sickness. Ridicule at work or school. Maybe you're alienated from your family because of what you believe. You are a Christian and many of your family is not, and because of that, there's just constant tension in your family. Maybe there's strained relationships for the same reason. You had friends that were friends for years, and then you became a Christian, and now the relationship is strained. Maybe there's mocking from society, the world around us, because we aren't living up to their standards. Maybe we, financially we're not the same. Maybe morally, obviously, we shouldn't be the same. Or we just don't have the things that society thinks we should have. <clears throat> Loneliness. Obviously, persecution, death of a love, or dying for your faith. 
the death or loss of a loved one, his suffering. Sacrificing personal time for serving in ministry is suffering. Giving sacrificially of your resources is suffering. And the reason I think we can lump all of these things into what we consider suffering is because of Paul's own experience. If you look at 2 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul kind of lists the things that he's had to go through because of walking in obedience to Christ. And as he walked in obedience to Christ, he lists things like, yeah, he was beaten, right? We saw that. But he also lists things like he was cold and endured exposure and things like that, all under suffering as he walked in obedience to Christ. And please don't misunderstand me so as, we, as we work towards the end of our time here this morning. I'm not saying that we purposely make choices that, you know, so our kids turn out horrible or so we have, so we get sick. We don't personally make choices to choose some of these things. Some of these things are just because of life, the way it happens, that's just, we didn't choose it necessarily, but it's happened to us. That's one form of suffering. I think you know that. That that's just doesn't make sense. But I could look around the room this morning and see several families that are suffering from something they didn't choose. Right, there's many I, I can guess here this morning. You didn't choose it, but you're suffering. Suffering in the sense that you are enduring a hardship as you walk in obedience to Christ. What I'm getting at this morning and what I feel like God has been dealing with with me and my life over the last several months is that there are many of us, and I include myself, who are way too comfortable with our Christian life. One of the stories that Richard Wormbrand, he's a, a Romanian pastor who was imprisoned and tortured for his faith in the 1940s and 50s. You may recognize that name. He tells about a Cisterian nun um, who was interviewed on Italian television. The interview was especially interested in their tradition of living in silence and solitude. And so he asked the nun, he said, and what if you were to realize at the end of your life that atheism is true, that there is not God, that there is no God? Tell me, what if that was true? The abbot replied, this nun, she says, holiness, silence, and sacrifice are beautiful in themselves, even without the promise of the reward, I still will have used my life well. What if an interviewer would come to you and ask you the same question? What if you get to the end of your life and you realize it's not true? There is no God. And I think many Christians, especially in America, maybe some of you, would answer something like that none kindness serving others being a good citizen staying out of trouble is a good life even without the promise of reward i will have still used my life well you come to church on sundays tithe maybe even serve in some way we pay our taxes we stay out of trouble we try to help those around us right and be kind to everyone if that kind of life is a true representation of Christianity, of being a follower of Christ, why would Paul say in 1 Corinthians 15, 19, if 
in Christ, we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. He's saying if there's no hope in eternal life with God, then his decisions and his choices that he has made are to be pitied. Why? Because the choices a Christian makes when walking in obedience to Christ don't make sense unless our sins have been forgiven and there's hope of eternal life. If I were not a follower of Christ, I would choose to avoid suffering at all costs. I would choose to try to be an easy, pain-free, comfortable life. And maybe the reason that our country is headed in the direction that it is, and the reason many people aren't excited and interested in Christianity, is because instead of choosing to sacrifice and suffer for the sake of the gospel, many of us have instead chosen a life of comfort and ease and think we're walking in obedience to Christ. And don't think I'm pointing the finger at you and the Christian world because when I do, I've got three fingers pointed straight back at me. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. If you never have trouble or sacrifice that requires you to believe in a God greater than yourself and require uh, and just and cling to him and, and believe in what he said, to get through that suffering, that hardship, that pain, you've essentially become your own savior. If you don't need God to be your savior for you to get you through and help you in life, then in a sense, you are your own savior. So maybe you're in the midst of suffering this morning. It's a hardship, a pain. It could be extreme, you know, really hard. You don't know how you're gonna make it through the day. Or it could just be something that's, in a sense, not as extreme. Some of those things that we talked about. By the grace of God, endure with rejoicing. Romans 8.18 for, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And I can't give you that advice because of my own experience in life, but thankfully the Bible says that we have a great high priest who can sympathize with you. Okay, wherever you're at on that continuum of suffering. Maybe you're in the midst of suffering and instead of enduring and, and trusting in God, you become angry at God. You become bitter. You become hard-hearted. 1 Peter 4, 12 to 13 says, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. And I don't say that lightly because I know, like I said, there's some of people here probably even this morning that are in extreme hardship, extreme suffering, extreme pain. But if you can't trust in the sovereignty of God and in the faithfulness and the love of God, what do you have left to trust in? He says, don't be surprised. You are sharing in Christ's suffering. Maybe you're here and your life is comfortable. You haven't sacrificed much at all. Repent and ask God to show you as you walk in obedience to Him 
how he wants you to sacrifice, to choose suffering. Philippians 3, starting in verse 8, it says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death that by any means possible I may obtain the resurrection from the dead. And Paul goes on to say, I haven't attained all this. I'm not already there. And this is Paul who's had to deal with all this stuff. But he says he's pressed on. He to, to make to press on to make it my own, because Christ has made me his own. Or maybe you've never surrendered your life to Christ. You're here this morning and you're hearing some of this and you're wondering, why in the world would I choose that? That makes absolutely no sense. It doesn't make sense. I can't explain it fully. But the path to everlasting joy and peace is life in Christ. And that path isn't easy, it's difficult. That's why Jesus said, For the gate is wide, the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow. And the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And if you want to know more about that, come talk to me afterwards or find one of our leaders. So choose suffering. It's not easy. It's not what we want. It goes against everything, probably every bone in our body. But it leads to life. It leads to joy. It leads to the gospel being proclaimed and spread among the world today. Let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed today's message. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can check us out on the web by going to our website, which is BethesdaMB.org. That's Bethesda, M as in Mary, B as in boy, dot org. Or check us out on Facebook by searching for Bethesda Church of Huron. Have a blessed day.